Charles Francis gave Mayor Nancy McFarland a run for her money in the mayoral race. He's back again, trying to take take the seat this time with an entirely new slate of candidates. Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so um, I guess just, let's just get started by going through your background. I mean, tell me about where you grew up, how you kind of came to be uh, Charles Francis. Sure. <laughs> Well, I was, uh, I was born and raised in Raleigh. Uh, I grew up here in the 1970s, um, and it you know, really was a very Crooklyn type of, of raising, you mm-hmm. know, basketball, uh, riding your bike, uh, swimming at uh, Chavis Park Pool and Pulling Pool at the old NC State Faculty Club, which is what they used to call the University Club, uh, a lot of days and weekends at the Hillsborough Street Y. Uh, uh, summers at Richard B. Harrison Library. Uh, I've got really, really fond memories of my raising here in Raleigh. Uh, I, uh, I went to Green Elementary School and uh, then to Hunter and to Ligon when it was a junior high school. Uh, I graduated from Sanderson High School. Uh, actually was the student body president at all of those schools. Uh, then I went to Princeton for, uh, for my undergraduate work. And then I came back home uh, to Duke for law school. I always knew that I wanted to, uh, to come back home. And so I picked a law school that was close to home. Uh, and then I returned to Raleigh in 1991 after Marvie and I married. And uh, soon after that, we started a family and I started a law practice here. And tell me a little bit about your practice. What's the focus there? So I'm a trial lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's been somewhat of a general practice. Uh, I have represented St. Augustine's University for 25 years. Uh, I've been the lawyer for the Raleigh Housing Authority for over 20 years. I represent a community college uh, down in the eastern part of the state, Roanoke Shawan Community College. But really the thrust of my practice is representing people in lawsuits. So I represent uh, people who have been injured, uh, people who have been wronged by companies and insurance companies, people who own property uh, that the government is taking and not paying enough money to. So I assert their rights and I get them justice and more compensation. Awesome. Um, so you're the only candidate in this race that's previously served on the city council. Tell me about that experience. It was a great experience. So as soon as I got back home, uh, I got involved in local politics. Um, I got involved in a campaign for my good friend, Ann Franklin, mm-hmm. uh, and supporting Ann. Uh, uh, Ann was a member of the city council at that time, along with Charles Meeker and Ralph Campbell. Avery Upchurch was a mayor, uh, and I was appointed to the planning commission. And so that gave me an insight into land use and zoning issues back in the 1990s. There was a vacancy on the city council mm-hmm. when Ralph Campbell was elected state auditor, and I was appointed by the council to fill that vacancy. So I had a great experience when I was 29, 30. Uh, serving for a year as a Raleigh City Councilor. After that ended, uh, I thought it'd be a good time to start a law firm. Mm-hmm. So I left the large firm that I was with, and uh, and we formed our own practice back in 1994. Obviously, a lot has changed between now and, and 1993. But I mean, what 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 would you say were your key accomplishments while serving on the council? Well, the thing I was the most uh, proud of is the the way that we were beginning to prepare for growth. Um, to lead and channel growth because Raleigh was beginning uh, to grow then into the city that it is now. So, I mean, what, 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 I guess, did the city look like back then, and how do you think that vision has come to fruition? Well, I think, you know, the city was, it was much smaller 
city at that time. I mean, we've grown tremendously since then. Uh, uh, a lot more traffic, a lot more people here. And really the problems that we have now are mainly the problems of growth. You know, mm. and all the issues, and I'm sure we're going to talk about housing, <laughs> traffic, transit, our infrastructure. Those are all problems of getting out ahead of the growth that is, has come and is mm-hmm. going to continue to come to Raleigh. Awesome. So what were some of the plans that you guys set in place when you guys, when you were on council? Well, um, you know, I'd really like to talk a lot more about, you know, what we're going to do (laughs) going, going forward in council, because that was, that was back in 1993. Yeah. All right. Okay. So moving forward, um, you know, what, I guess, what do you see, what do you think of the direction the city is headed in? How do you kind of see that? playing out and what do you think of current leadership on the council? Well, I think, you know, the the real overarching requirement and demand, you know, for the council in the city right now is leadership. Um, some of the people who are on council now are probably going to be reelected. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are going to be some new people that are coming to council and for the most part it's an incredibly uh, talented, energetic group. Um, there's a lot of citizen energy behind these candidates. And so what's needed is uh, leadership uh, to bring those uh, uh, counselors together in order for us to set our goals and then uh, uh, achieve these goals. Do you think uh, McFarland was an effective leader in that capacity? Well, I, I, you know, I think we're all grateful to Mayor mm-hmm. McFarland uh, for her public service over these years. Public service is a hard thing to do, and I think we all owe her a debt of gratitude. So I'm not... I'm not here to criticize mm-hmm. uh, any leaders in the past. I'm here to talk about what I can provide in the future. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things um, that Nancy said when she said that she wasn't going to run was that she thinks Raleigh politics really need a reset, kind of saying that there's this kind of divisive um, you know, toxicity going on right now in the culture, in the council. Do you see that, or do you think, or do you think that things are a little bit different? Um, I agree with her. That mm-hmm. we, I agree with her that we need a reset. Um, I, I think that uh, what the council and the city are in need of is leadership. Leadership starts with relationships. So I have relationships with uh, several of the councilors. I'm going to build relationships with whoever is on the council so that we can work together to not just find consensus but set consensus mm-hmm. and then move people you know, toward the consensus that we need to all agree on. Awesome. Um, so let's get into a little bit more specifics then. Um, you know, obviously you've been a huge advocate for Southeast Raleigh. I mean, what do you think needs to happen to help lift up that community even more? Well, I think, you know, the, 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 the main issue with Southeast Raleigh, by Southeast Raleigh, I think what you're referring to is the traditional, uh, South, the people who have traditionally lived in Southeast Mm -hmm. Raleigh, the African American community there. I mean, first of all, it's a very diverse community. As I said, I was I was born and raised in Southeast Raleigh, uh, and the the fabric and tapestry of that community is as diverse as anywhere around town. Um, you have uh, doctors, you have lawyers, you have uh, business people, uh, you have many many educators, you have a large number of retirees who still live. So it's a very diverse community. But you know, in terms of uh, improving the quality of life for traditional Southeast Raleigh. Uh, first of all, uh, we need uh, more inclusion uh, uh, at the city government level. I think a lot of people in Southeast Raleigh feel that their voice has not been heard. And so one of the things I'm bringing to the table is to, uh, uh, to include uh, everybody in the city, not just Southeast Raleigh, but everybody in the city 
uh, in the decision-making process and have processes that are fair and that people feel are fair so that they feel, even when they don't get what they want, that their voice has been heard. Um, the second thing is the city needs to uh, invest more public resources in Southeast Raleigh. Uh, I think it's wonderful uh, that the city has focused resources, for example, on Hillsborough Street in order to improve the blight that was there mm -hmm. 20 or 30 years ago. But there are places in Southeast Raleigh that also need to be improved. For example, the streetscape in front of St. Augustine's University has mm -hmm. been overdue for a facelift for quite a while. There's some parks in Southeast Raleigh that require attention. Uh, I am uh, a huge advocate for Dick's Park. Uh, I'm going to be a strong advocate for Dick's. And we're going to get it built out over the years in accord with the master plan so that it really is a park for everyone. But at the same time, we can't neglect Chavis Park and Lions Park and the other parks, uh, older parks around town. Absolutely. And when you say, like, you know, we need to kind of be inclusive in city government, um, you know, one of the things another mayoral candidate, Zainab Baloch, pointed out to me is there haven't been two black people serving on council since, like, 1975, which is kind of crazy. Um, considering how big um, how big a population that is in the city. Well, um, uh, we're going to change that in, two, <laughs> in 2019. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, do you think also that, you know, in terms of inclusivity, we need to be changing the makeups of some of our boards and commissions as well? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think Raleigh needs to, to become more diverse in many respects. Mm -hmm. So um, we need to have... Uh, more racial diversity, we need to have more gender diversity, uh, we need to have more diversity of people of different sexual identities, of LGBTQ people, mm -hmm. we need to have people of different abilities. That's not just a fair thing to do, but when you do that, you get uh, different outcomes and better outcomes. So you're exactly right, we need that on our boards and commissions. I think we need to look at expanding the number of uh, members of the city council. Mm -hmm. The city council has stayed the same size for many, many years, but Raleigh has gotten much bigger. And so the districts uh, that used to uh, perhaps have 40,000 people in them, some of them now have 80 or 90,000 yeah. people. I mean, District B is huge. Um, so I think we should look at expanding the number of councilors, not sure the exact number, maybe mm -hmm. by one, maybe by three, so that we don't have an even number, including the yeah. mayor. Um, and I think that that would afford more representation and make it more likely that you would have more diverse voices on the council. I mean, and people, you know, consistently say that Cory Branch's district, you know, that's like the historically black seat on council. Why is that, you know, why are they all kind of, why are all the minorities really lumped into one, one representative? Right. Um, Great. And, you know, there's a lot of other issues that, you know, are facing Southeast Raleigh as well. Um, you know, when we talk about that, you know, there have been a group of community activists calling for police accountability, um, you know, at recent council meetings, um, even interrupting a council meeting a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, where do you stand on the issue of police accountability? Do you think an oversight board is needed um, made up of community members? Yes. Um, but let me let me. Uh, deal with that question in several different ways. Okay. The, fir the, fir the, first, the first thing is um, uh, the police have a really tough job. You know, they're uh, called in to some of the most fraught and violent situations, um, you know, in life, you know, in our human interaction. I mean, when people are really in trouble, um, you know, in their homes, uh, in the street, 
uh, that's when the police get called. And so they have a very tough and very dangerous job, and we always need to keep that at the top of our mind. Um, uh, our police need to be well paid, they need to be well benefited, uh, and they need to be treated as professionals. And you were talking about diversity a minute ago. Um, Chief Deck has worked to diversify the city police force, but I think there's more work to be done mm. there in terms of more black officers, uh, more women officers, uh, more LGBTQ officers, people trained to deal you know, with LGBTQ uh, situations, uh, to respond to LGBTQ citizens. So you know, we need to keep that in mind in, in talking about the, the police. Second thing we need to keep in mind is most police citizen interactions, you know, are not ones of excessive force or ones that go sideways like, you know, what we hear about when these mm. incidents occur. And so that needs to be kept in mind in terms of the way you would set up any kind of review or accountability force. But yeah, I do think that it is it is we are overdue for a citizen review board. I think that's a level of transparency and accountability uh, that Raleigh uh, demands and is entitled to. Now, the way I would do it mm -hmm. is anyone who raised their hand for that position would have to go through extensive uh, training once they were selected for that, uh, had to spend a number of hours and days riding with police officers, seeing what policemen do, policemen and women mm -hmm. do. So they understood that, you know, most of the time, you know, it's, it's very routine, it's very ordinary, it's not you know, what shows up, you know, in the news mm -hmm. with increasing frequency now. Um, and I think doing that, they'd be better able to assess the, the danger that officers are in and better able to assess um, uh, everyday situations and compare those to these things that go sideways that, you know, require attention when there's excessive force or claims of excessive force. So that's, that's, that's the way mm -hmm. that I would set it up. How do you think the board, you know, should look when the staff, uh, when city staff and the police chief kind of presented options uh, to the council a couple weeks ago? They, you know, presented this option of kind of a hybrid, you know, staff department with some citizens involved. There's been some criticism that, you know, if city if city staff are involved in, you know, keeping in in keeping police accountable, that that kind of um, that won't make the process objective. Uh, I mean, do you see that board as something autonomous, made up only of citizens, or do you like that hybrid option? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the exact composition of the board would be. I mean, I think mm -hmm. in, in general, I think that, you know, because of this council manager form of government mm -hmm. that we have, not just with this, but across the board, too many of the decisions are very, very staff-driven, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that, you know, we need counselors that are going to listen to staff and take the advice of staff, but going to consider a wide range of options. So I probably would go beyond just those options that, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, we got from staff and consider a wider range of possibilities. You know, think about what best practices would be in other cities in North mm -hmm. Carolina and other cities around the country. Uh, receive information from think tanks, academia, and then we'll put together what the best model would be. And I think part of the issue here is that, you know, no other city in North Carolina has a board as ambitious as what the community is calling for. Um, you know, some of the state laws prohibit the release of personnel files. Um, you know, as the chief said, if you don't know an employee's history, is it really fair to be giving that employee discipline? Um, 
So, I mean, do you think just because a board like that hasn't happened so far in North Carolina that Raleigh, do you think Raleigh could be a leader in that regard? Well, I think Raleigh needs to be a leader in a number of regards. I mean, I think it's not acceptable just to say because it hadn't been done before, we're not going to do it because state law limits you here. I mean, sometimes the role of leadership is to go to the General Assembly and work with them to get changes in state law so that we can move where we need to go. But again, I mean, I'm not committing to any particular form yeah. of a uh, 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 police accountability mm-hmm. or a, uh, a citizens review board. Mm-hmm. I think we need to have one. The exact form that it takes, you know, we need to work on that so that we got something that's going to best do the job of assuring transparency and accountability and high citizen confidence in the police. At the same time, it needs to be fair to the police and understand how tough and vital their job is. Absolutely. Um, another issue, obviously, impacting um, you know some of the lower income uh, residents in the community is gentrification. As the New York Times reported a couple weeks ago, um, you know houses are being bought up in historically African American communities and turned into these you know half a million dollar homes on these small lots, uh, and really changing um, the makeup of those communities. What do you think can be done to combat gentrification? Yeah. You know, the um, changes like what you're seeing in Southeast Raleigh and around the the city are happening all over the country. Uh, And in part, it's a market function. Um, It's changes in society. Uh, You know, some aspects of it are not a bad thing. You know, the fact that there, you know, now are are, uh, white citizens who are comfortable mm-hmm. and happy to move into a historically predominantly black neighborhood says that we've made progress as a society and as a people because that used to not be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with it, of course, is that renters are pushed out. Uh, people uh, feel culturally displaced. And so the main support that we've got to give is to, to renters who want to remain in mm-hmm. the community who want to remain in some level of affordable housing. So that really you know, brings up the whole issue of affordable housing, which is going to be my top priority as mayor. I mean, that's what, what I would like to be known for after my service as mayor, is that I expanded options for housing both to rent and to buy. Um, there is a creeping affordability crisis in Raleigh. I mean, really, it's, it's beyond creeping now. So we've got to expand choices both for renters and first-time homeowners. That's, that's, that's the way that you deal with the, uh, the deleterious effects of gentrification. I mean, and one of the things with gentrification and renters, how do you kind of ensure that those properties don't get scooped up by the market? Um, you know, a lot of the thing with low-income renters is that they don't have the same generational wealth to be able to buy homes. And as you know, home ownership is one of the real, you know, perceived as one of the real gateways into the middle class and economic stability. So how do you ensure that either those people who are, you know, have been historically renters are either able to afford homes in the city or able to keep their rental properties from being scooped up by the market? Well, the, the latter thing that you mentioned, I'm not sure you're going to be able to do that mm-hmm. to keep them because it's a market function. Yeah. Um, but there, there are many things that we can do to make sure that there is a supply of affordable rental housing. Mm-hmm. One is to be more aggressive with the tax credit housing that we do. So, mm-hmm. for example, uh, the, the Sir Walter Raleigh apartment renovation mm-hmm. is a tax credit development. Uh, the Raleigh North redevelopment over on Ra- uh, Raleigh Boulevard is a mm-hmm. tax credit redevelopment. The DH- DHIC is soon going to close on the uh, 
acquisition of Capitol Towers out on mm -hmm. Six Forks Road. That's a tax credit redevelopment. The only way that you can really assure that a property is going to remain affordable for a period of time in a fast-changing city like this is there's got to be some limitations on it. So in these tax credit deals, usually for 30 years, it, it has to remain affordable. Mm -hmm. okay? that's, that's one option. A second thing we can do um, is uh, uh, that we need to provide more we need, to, we need to increase first-time home ownership programs like the one that we have in College Park. So then we're segging over to ownership. Mm -hmm. um, the College Park program is a great program, but we need to do more of that uh, uh, so that people have that opportunity to get on that first rung of ownership. And um, I guess there's been a lot of talk about an affordable housing bond. Um, as you know, Durham recently uh, committed to a $100 million bond. The Raleigh City Council uh, has decided to hold back on issuing a bond until 2020. I mean, what do you think would be an appropriate level um, for an affordable housing bond for the city? No, I think we need to go big. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to go big because the way, the way that bond money is usually utilized is that it, it plugs the gaps in these deals. You know? So you don't, the, the best way to use it is not to take the money and actually build Housing, mm -hmm. because I mean, a housing, an apartment uh, costs a hundred, one hundred fifty thousand dollars per unit to build. So that's not an efficient way to do it. In, for example, in the Sir Walter transaction, the primary debt funding came from a bond uh, issuance that the housing mm -hmm. authority did. Uh, most of the equity came from, as I said, a tax credit transaction. But there was still a need for more money, and so the city provided, if I remember correctly, three million dollars. It came from the, the uh, prior affordable housing uh, uh, money that had been generated. So that's the way that you use money like that to, to fill in the gaps to generate more housing. So I think we need to go big on that. You know, I think the city probably made the right decision to, uh, uh, to postpone that bond until next year because we want to get it done, but we want to get it done properly. And we want to mm -hmm. have support from all over the community for that. The other thing is, I mean, there are other... Uh, you know, needs for bond financing, like Dix Park, perhaps, like other uh, uh, other parks, mm -hmm. like perhaps transit. And so we want to have a coordinated approach so that, um, you know, we're telling the citizens all at one time, you know, here's what we're asking you to borrow. Here's going to be the effect on your, uh, on your property tax bills. And here's why this is going to be a worthwhile investment. And, I mean, so do you see us getting a $100 million bond or something even larger? <coughs> I, I, think, I think we need to go big. That's, that's mm -hmm. what I'll say right now. I don't have, you a, don't have, I don't have a specific okay. number for you. I think, I think we need to go big. Mm -hmm. But we've got to be able to demonstrate to citizens that here's the, the, the return that you're going to get on your investment. Right? If we're raising property taxes by a half cent or a penny or whatever it may be, Here's why that's a worthwhile investment. Here's how many people we uh, expect to be able to house as a result of this investment. I mean, I, I've been in business my whole career, and so mm -hmm. I'm goal-driven and metric-driven. And so I want to be able to say to people, this is what we think we're going to be able to accomplish to make a dent in the problem. And, um, you know, I guess the other thing is if we have the bond in 2020, we might also be looking at a Dix Park bond. Um, you know, do you think that there might have to be a compromise there? I think that... Um, I think that the, the Dix Park advocates have been um, an incredibly effective and positive force for bringing us to where we are with Dix Park. Uh, there's a lot of talent, a lot of energy, a lot of leadership 
uh, with the Dix Conservancy and the Dix Visionaries. I think what should happen and what I'd like to, to, to lead in making happen is for the parks advocates to get behind an affordable housing bond mm. and for the, the, the housing community to get behind the parks bond and we all join hands together and say, this is why we need to borrow X millions of dollars to improve our community across the board. I mean, and the other thing that, that's often remarked about an affording, affordable housing bond, you know, if you raise taxes, are you going to be hurting the very people you're trying to help? Yeah. Um, how do you mitigate that? Yeah, right. So I'm, you, if you'll see on my website, I mean, I'm not mm -hmm. a big uh, advocate for property tax increases because in my practice, I have represented uh, people who were land rich but cash poor mm. and struggled, really struggled to pay their property taxes. So a couple of ideas on that. One is, you know, I think we need to figure out a way that we freeze property tax assessments for seniors. You know, they've paid taxes for decades, and, you know, they've paid their part. And so it's not fair that their $200,000 house, uh, you know, becomes a $500,000 house by reason of all the mm -hmm. things happening in the neighborhood, and then their tax bills go up. So that's the first thing. I think we need to figure out a way, once you, you get a certain age, you know, your property tax assessment on, on your primary residence mm -hmm. uh, is frozen. That's, that's the first thing. Second thing is, you know, with, with any bond that we do, we've got to be conscious of what the effect is going to be on all taxpayers and make sure that there is a return on that investment that's worthwhile. Absolutely. Um, and another thing, too, that's often remarked as a way to kind of lift up uh, some of the mo more vulnerable, vulnerable pockets of the city is transportation. Um, you know, what do you think about kind of the strides that we've made in overhauling, um, you know, the bus system? And what, what more do you think has to be done to increase um, the access to transportation in the city? Light rail. Mm -hmm. Light rail. I mean, I think we made some improvements in bus transit, but we got a ways to go. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really think, you know, that we need to focus on a community as a community uh, on light rail and commuter rail. There are plenty of lines that are moving around Raleigh and Wake County and in between Raleigh and Durham and Raleigh mm -hmm. and the uh, 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 smaller communities. And the city uh, uh, and our transit agencies need to acquire access to that so that we got light rail going back and forth and into this beautiful train station we have downtown now. It's a, it's a wonderful train station, but it doesn't get nearly enough use. But how, how do you, um, you know, I, as you know, it, light rail fell apart in Durham, um, in part due to opposition from the Duke medical community. Um, you know, how do you ensure that such an ambitious project actually, you know, happens in Raleigh? Yeah, I mean, it all comes back to leadership. We got to engage mm -hmm. the, the, the various stakeholders that are required. Uh, uh, the, the rail companies, uh, the state, uh, the universities. I mean, the problem there, you know, wound up being a dispute between, you know, Duke and, and, um, and other government agencies. Mm -hmm. So we've got to engage uh, the universities and bring everybody together around this objective. I mean, everybody says that they are for increasing transit, but it's just, you know, we need leadership in order to get us there. Mm -hmm. So would you see like a light rail system that would connect us to Durham or us to some of the other communities around or, you know, like Fuquay Verena or well, think, Nightdale? Yeah, I think, I think there needs to be light rail that's connecting uh, downtown Raleigh mm -hmm. uh, to, uh, to RTP, uh, going out toward the airport mm -hmm. and then over to Durham. And then from there going out, you know, to some of the smaller communities in Wake County. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where we need to put our funding and that's where we need to put our focus. In addition... We need to improve bus service so it's a more 
attractive alternative for people who have a choice between a bus and a car or a bus and Uber. And they, you know, they made steps in that direction, but there's more that we can do uh, to, to improve bus service. Absolutely. I mean, as I reported yesterday, um, or I guess it's in today's paper, um, you know, we did put a $10 million investment into overhauling the Go Raleigh bus system. But that didn't, but that, um, but some of the workers there, some of the drivers are not happy with how those changes rolled out. Um, you know, they believe the management company needs to be replaced. I mean, how, are you aware of that issue and what do you, what do yeah. you make of it? Yeah. So, so from my observation of that situation, many of the senior drivers have not been treated fairly in their route assignments. And we do need to take a look at how the management company is handling that. And, uh, if the management company is not willing to respond adequately to address what I think of those just grievances, then we need to take a look at a change, mm. right? There, I think that the, the drivers there have serious and legitimate grievances about the way they've been treated, many of them long-term drivers. I also want to mention on transportation, um, a big part of this is the last mile problem, you know, mm. so how you get from your house to the transit stop or how you get from the transit stop uh, to your office or yeah. to the factory or, you know, to your classroom. So one solution for that is micro-mobility. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that, that scooters, um, uh, you know, properly managed, mm -hmm. uh, uh, bicycles are a great way to get people uh, from home to the transit stop and from the transit stop, you know, to the, to the office or to the classroom. And we did just approve um, a new scooter company in town. Have you ridden any of the scooters? No, <laughs> no, I hadn't, I hadn't ridden a scooter oh, yet. Oh, man. But, uh, you <laughs> We're going to have I, to get you on one, Charles. Well, yeah, I'd love to try it. I'd love to try it. When, when I was younger, I had a motorcycle, so I'd, oh, okay. I'd, be, I'd be up for that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, I, had, I had lunch with, uh, with a guy yesterday who was, about my generation, uh -huh. and uh, he rode a scooter uh, down Hillsborough Street uh, to the restaurant that was maybe about a mile from his office. Oh, wow. And, yeah, he, he travels that way a lot. So you're pro-scooter? I, I am pro-scooter. Okay, I'm cool. pro-scooter. I think, I think micro-mobility <laughs> is one of the solutions. Mm -hmm. And um, also, I mean, it's a way that the city can kind of manage that problem without have to making a huge investment of taxpayer dollars. That's um, right. That's right. Awesome. Um, I guess another big issue that people are talking about a lot is, um, you know, we hear a lot of rhetoric about protecting neighborhoods uh, in certain pockets of the city um, and, you know, the inaction of these NCODs, which kind of preserve zoning in those areas. I mean, what do you kind of think about, you know, that rhetoric of protecting neighborhoods, especially as it pertains to some of the wealthier pockets of the city? Yeah, well, I think I think that, uh, you know, people all over the city feel like their voices are not being heard. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about that earlier with Southeast Raleigh, I think. Uh, you know, I think people feel that way in Cameron Park. I mm -hmm. think people feel that way in, uh, in North Raleigh, in the Falls area. I think they feel that way in Country Club Hills. You know, I think people feel that way mm -hmm. all over town. So one, one of the things that I'm going to do is we're going to take a real look at city processes and figure out whether they are unnecessarily excluding people. So you were mm -hmm. asking me about my prior service uh uh, in the 90s. Mm -hmm. One thing we did back then was the planning commission reviewed site plans at a certain level, mm. and that's been changed now. I think we ought to take a look at whether, uh, you know, for a certain level of site plan, uh, the planning commission get involved in that. If we did that, then that would be an opportunity for neighbors to come and comment on significant site mm -hmm. plans that were going to have a big impact and feel like they're more part of the process. You know, people are not always going to get the, the outcome that they want, but if the process is fair, then I think they'll be more satisfied with the outcome. 
so kind of more community involvement in some of those bigger decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, one of the bigger projects going on, uh, John Kane wants to build a 40-story tower off of Peace Street in an area some criticize is already pretty congested uh, in terms of traffic. I mean, what do you? how do you view that project, and do you think 40 stories is what we should be building in that part of town? Well, I think I think I we need to have more density mm-hmm. in certain parts of Raleigh. Okay, certain parts are not appropriate for density. So, for example, out in the Falls area, you're not mm-hmm. going to have density out there. You know, in Longview Gardens, where the the lots are all quarter acre lots, yeah. and that's what people bought those properties for. You're not going to have density there. But in areas of downtown, we do need to have more density. Uh, in many of the areas where the boulevards intersect with 440, mm-hmm. we need to have more density. There are parts of Southeast Raleigh where I think more density would be welcomed. And so where uh, you know that project that you mentioned is proposed is an area um, that's appropriate for more density. Now, exactly what the number of stories mm-hmm. should be, you know, I haven't I haven't studied that proposal. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't I don't know how many stories are appropriate for yeah. that site. But I do think we need to have more density downtown. I mean, that's part of the solution, uh, uh, both for sprawl and for transit. I mean, in order to get transit, you've got to have a certain level of density, both downtown and along mm-hmm. transit corridors. It's also it's also a carbon issue. I mean, the 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 way that many cities have developed, including Raleigh, are terrible for the environment. Sprawl. Yeah, you got people sitting in cars, you know, for for hours. Uh, 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 emitting all kinds of, of carbon into the environment. And so if we can get a handle on that and have tighter, more compact cities, then that's one way that we can reduce our carbon emissions. Absolutely. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, in 2017, um, when you tried to take on McFarland in the mayoral race, you really came out swinging, um, you know, in that race early on. You know, you were the first candidate to announce in this race. What do you think of some of the other candidates in this race, um, Marianne Baldwin, Caroline Sullivan, and Zainab Baloch? I think that we've got a very fine field of candidates that are running for mayor and across the board for city council. Uh, I'm not running against any candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm running for my vision of Raleigh, which is uh, more access to housing, both to rent and to buy, better transit options, uh, uh, the creation of, of better paying jobs in Raleigh, because up under the housing affordability mm-hmm. crisis for a lot of people, it's a stagnation in wages. Mm. Uh, uh, increasing access to mental health care, getting Dick's Park completed properly, and, and support for park, neighborhood parks all over town. So those those are the reasons that I'm running. I'm not running against the, yeah. any of the people that have announced. I, I wanna I want to lead whoever is elected to city council to achieve these common objectives. So ad- identify and prioritize mm-hmm. and achieve these objectives that I think we're all for. I mean, at the same time though, you know what makes you more qualified than these other candidates? You know, people have criticized Marion Baldwin as a divisive candidate. People have said, you know, Caroline Sullivan doesn't really seem to be as present in um, Raleigh political scene as other candidates. And then Zaina Baloch, you know, is kind of younger, and so that there's a concern about a lack of experience there. I mean, do you? How do you kind of see those other candidates as? Well, what I would say, let me answer the first part of your question. Uh-huh. So the, the, what I, the way I'd answer the first part of your question is, is of what distinguishes me is, mm-hmm. is, is this. First, um, I was born and raised in Raleigh. Uh, 
I had an incredibly broad, rich experience growing up here. And so as a result of that experience and my other life experiences, I'm at home and effective and empathetic with people all over town from all different backgrounds. Uh, it doesn't matter to me, and I don't distinguish whether I'm in Northridge or Raleigh North, mm. whether I'm in Carolee or Carolina Pines or, or uh, Country Club Hills. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter because people are people to me. Um, I have friends uh, that I grew up with um, uh, who are the CEOs of major corporations. I have friends that I grew up with uh, who are locked up, um, and they're all people to me because that's the way I was raised and that's, that's, that's what my faith is. So the first thing is the breadth of my experience. The second thing is uh, we need lawyers on the council. You know, we were talking earlier about people feeling that they are treated fairly and, mm -hmm. and being included. What lawyers do is we learn process from the very beginning in Civ Pro 101. And so we need lawyers on the council. Mm -hmm. They can help make sure that there's a fair process that there's weight given to what the staff is saying, but not too much weight yeah. given to what the staff is saying. Um, and I think that um, one of the reasons that Meeker was an effective mayor uh, was you know, his training and skills as a lawyer. So I think that's the second thing that distinguishes me. Um, the, the, the third is, is I'm gonna provide the leadership to people all over town. Um, I have uh, uh, neighborhood leaders who are supporting me around town. I have uh, uh, people from all over Raleigh mm -hmm. that are supporting me. I have strong support from the business community. I was one of the founding directors of North State Bank, mm -hmm. which is one of the most successful community banks, not only in the state, but in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, so I also have strong support from the business community. And I think, you know, if there is an aisle in Raleigh, we need to reach across it. Really, we need to get rid of it. And we mm -hmm. all just join hands together to attack these problems. So you really don't want to talk about the other candidates in this race? <laughs> no, I mean, I, like like I said before, I mean, I think I think that they are fine people, mm -hmm. and I think that they've given what I know about them. They've given fine service in the past, mm -hmm. uh, but I I don't have any criticisms of, of mm -hmm. any of those candidates now. Fantastic. Um, so I mean, I think we've gone over a lot. I mean, is there anything else that you wanna that you wanna tell our readers? About why you're qualified for the job. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you about why I want to do it. Okay. Right, so, um, my family came to Raleigh 100 years ago. Uh, and over four generations, Raleigh has been a very good place to me and my family. And I want to see other people achieve the same success that we have been blessed to achieve. Mm -hmm. And that's not just a government function. You know, it's an education function. It's a business function. It's a function of what our nonprofits do, like the Y and the Salvation Army and the churches. Um, but city government has a role to play in that. So that's, that's why I'm running. You know, I want to help other people um, uh, uh, achieve the good things in life that I and my family have been able to achieve over a century in Raleigh. Um, that's the altruistic reason. The selfish reason is that when I'm old, I want a part of my, a part of my body of work to be public service. Mm -hmm. right? I don't want to just talk about business deals or about businesses or about cases. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I want it to be this, this public service. Uh, Raleigh is a really good city, but we can be a great city. Uh, but it, take, it takes leadership takes leadership and that's that's what I'm offering and that's why I'm running. 
So you think you're the you're the person to kind of lead Raleigh in this next chapter? I, I do, I do. I feel feel very strongly for all the reasons we've been talking about, and I'm I'm really looking forward to this campaign, and I'm looking forward to serving. Thanks for listening to IndieCast. Subscribe to our podcast on the Apple Podcast app and look for more episodes at IndieWeek.com.